This is Silver Linings, a podcast where we celebrate stories of social impact, shared by students, alumni, faculty members, and special guests of the Singapore University of Social Sciences, previously on Silver Linings. I feel Singapore is really one of the best places to start a company just because we have that ecosystem. When I first started three years ago, I think it was quite sort of well-established. I can only imagine right now, I mean, if you're just a founder starting out, right, the amount of support you have. Yeah, accelerators, pitching competitions. I mean, that's amazing, right? Because I feel like as early stage companies, as founders, start pitching ideas to as many people as possible, learn from them, learn from the questions they're asking. And then hopefully, if there is some prize money, use that money to go and build a prototype and then try and get some traction. So, yeah. Exactly. I think 10 years ago, really, I felt we were like at the starting point. And uh, it was interesting because you keep on bumping into the same people, right? Mm-hmm. You go to one co-working place. I met some people uh, when I started my company at uh, Impact Hub at that time. And uh, then we go to another event, not mm. related, and you meet the same people, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. It was really small at that time. But we have come so far. I mean, think about all the different startups that have been... Yep. growing uh, in the last 10 years. Yep. And I would say also, to me, you know, what I find amazing in Singapore is the amount of government support you have. Um, the SG Founder Grant just boosted yep. up to 50K. There are tons of support. At my time even, once I got a call from Singapore Tourism Board, we just asked them if we can collaborate. And they called us to tell us that there's a grant and we should apply. I mean, which government does that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think being small and nimble is really yeah. a, it's a benefit yeah. for early stage startups. Yeah. Problem is sometimes the market, right? It's just not mm. large enough. So we're yeah. trying to you know, help also build a regional network so that our students, uh, you know, comp- mm. company founders like you guys uh, realize very early on that there's actually room to scale. Please go outside of Singapore and try to solve problems yeah. there. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. So we have country managers now, actually, mm. in Indonesia, China, and Vietnam. Mm. And we're trying to build more uh, relationships for you in mm. the region so that you can really tackle markets that are bigger than Singapore. Because yeah. I think that's the one thing that we need to provide. It's not 5 million uh, users, but actually hundreds yeah. of millions. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And to add to that also, I think the VC ecosystem also is amazing. Mm. Right? I mean... Totally. Like it's so many some people say it's so crowded that yes. I, I don't think I can because everyone is their own accelerator their funds now they're actually yeah. having and they're hosting so. yeah but even like you talk about like say seed funds or series A funds yeah. so many so and many. you have Sequoia Surge now so many yeah, yeah. I, I mean people always ask me so Rena like you know um, how do you go about raising money like what's your top tip my top tip to them always is you don't need to worry about investment because there's so much money in Singapore. Correct. You just need to focus on your product. Yeah. The money of Asia is in Singapore, mm-hmm. literally. Yeah. So if please, you, uh, don't. If you have a good product, you can show product market fit, you can show some form of attraction. I'm talking about early stage. Mm. Investors are going to want to. You're going to have the opportunity to choose mm. who you want to work with. You're going to more often than not get an oversubscribed round, which was, I guess, part of what we experienced, right? We were so fortunate enough to be able to have... I remember you asked me, should I stop here or should I take on more money, right? Yeah, but I mean, okay, that's a conversation for another day, right? <laughs> balance between how much you want to raise. But yeah. uh, the point being that, like, if you really have a good product, I mean, you know, there's just so much money around. And honestly, I think founders don't need to worry about that. And I think increasingly what we're seeing also is these VCs, they are really, really top VCs, right? They're not just like your... You know, the VC is just on its first fund. No, they're like multiple funds and like 
they're really experienced sort of uh, investors and entrepreneurs themselves. So, mm. yeah, I mean, going back to the point, I mean, Singapore is really one of the best places you know, to start a company. Yeah. yeah. Agree, and what I find interesting now, if you look at Sequoia Search, Sequoia being one of the largest VCs, right? They are going earlier now with, with the search program into early stage um, founders. We have actually one of our mentors. She she got into I think the third batch, and we have other teams now applying as well. And what they do is they expose you to different cities, startup hubs in the region. So mm. Singapore, Shanghai, Ho Chi Minh, Silicon Valley, Mumbai and back Singapore. And I thought that's an interesting concept because we were always thinking about, okay, how do we bring you guys into the region? Is it supposed to be incubation or is it exposure? Is it with the help of co-founders in those places? So we tried and tested different ways. And I really like to see how, you know, large tech startup people are actually really benefiting from these type of programs. So just get exposure and learn from all these people in the different countries how they are running uh, businesses. Um, so I think, you know, for me back then, I mean, I was actually interning at Tech in Asia for six months. Mm-hmm. So I was part of the department where they focused a lot on matching. So it's called speed dating. Essentially, they would match an investor to a founder. Mm-hmm. So I was in charge of making sure that there was time. The time was limited at five minutes. You know, once you're done, you move on to the next investor. So we were in charge of that speed dating, that dating process. So I think um, that really got me thinking of there are actually so many VCs out there. They're looking all into Southeast Asia. Mm. You know, money is plenty in this region. You just have to have a really good product. And everyone would see the need for it. Mm. So that really opened my eyes to, okay, you know what, this is the VC world, you know, and this is how it works, you know, how do people raise money. So I think another way for many companies or many startups is to attend such conferences mm. to really meet these investors and pitch it within five minutes. You see whether or not they have the same, they are aligned within the same vision. Mm. If not, you move on and just keep moving on and just don't stop yeah. for raising money. Actually, when you talk to VCs, I'm sure you also face rejection. Right? Definitely, how do you, yes. How do, you, how do you have any stories? How did you deal with uh, rejection? Did you ever cry? <laughs> <laughs> I faced my fair share of rejection, but the reason why I didn't really get affected by it is because it's just not a good match. Mm. The way I see it is like getting investors, it's very similar to like getting married, married. right? <laughs> because like it really is going to be a long-term relationship. <laughs> and you would want your investor to be a good partner in the sense that they can really support you in your growth. And for that to happen, uh, there needs to be alignment mm. of goals and alignment of uh, the way that both the founder and investor sees the, the business sort of progressing. So if an uh, investor rejects me, I mean, I don't really take it personally. It's just we're not in alignment. Yeah, and as going back to my point about how there's so many investors in Singapore and in Southeast just Asia. Just go to the next one. Just mm. go on to the next one. And I think Great. I saw the fruit of that. I was also careful to sort of pick investors that I know are aligned with me mm. and with the business. And I think today I'm really seeing the fruits of that, where investors not only understand the nuances and the challenges of the industry that we're in, mm. but also investors, because they are so aligned with me, they know how best that they can support me during this difficult time. Mm. Yeah, so rejections are just normal part and parcel mm. of you learn how to the, the journey, right? I mean, mm. yeah. But any new founder or any new entrepreneur or an aspiring one, I think when rejections first pour in and start coming in, it can overwhelm you because you are new in this ecosystem. And to face that rejection, you could be worried about facing another rejection. It's very common. You know, you get so worried about your product and whether or not, you know, hey, if I pitch one more time, 
what happens if I get a rejection again? You know, how would that make me feel? And that could affect any new founder. So I think for me, that did affect me for quite a bit and for a while. Because mm. when I first started out on this journey, I was not used to, okay, rejection is one thing, but there was just so much rejections along the way. You start thinking and you start clouding your mind with different thoughts. Like, you know, is this the right journey for me? Should I continue on? You know, what's the best way forward next? And I think ultimately, the more rejections I faced, I got used to it. So what, what Rina mentioned, you know, you just get used to rejection. You just move on to the next person. So now I comfort myself by just thinking, okay, you know, now there's this rejection, it's okay. Let's just find someone else. There are better opportunities ahead. There are bound to be better partners out there for me. Yeah. So mm. I think for me, early on, rejection was a huge hit and it took a huge toll on me. Mm. Definitely, I agree. I remember the time when I really had to face failure mm. for the first time because... You know, when I had my company and then I ran out of money, I didn't really see how I can get my right. unit economics right. And it's also the problem with grant money, right? right Once you right. receive a grant and you're actually, your business model is dependent on it, then forget about it. So it's actually not too bad if you can survive also without grants. Mm. But uh, in my case, um, I realized, you know, running out of money, met a couple of investors, most of them not interested. And one was telling me, I uh, still remember, it was in a cafe. He actually made me cry. Because <laughs> 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 he told me, Ellen, you can fail, but you cannot give up. And then I was shocked. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Am I giving up here? I mean, I'm trying so hard, right? right. Um, and uh, it took me quite some time, actually, to digest that type of meeting and the thought as well. But I think then I just embraced the thought of it's okay also mm. to call it an end. Yeah, it right, it right, happens. Right. It's like a project and the project also has to end at a certain point. Sometimes projects are successful, you sell it off, you go IPO, but sometimes a project is unsuccessful and then you have to move on, right? Instead of just being sad about it and trying, 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 but the, the business model in itself just is not functionable or mm. there are external factors that just don't make it happen. I think it's okay to say, this is it, you know? I move on from here and whatever comes, it's going to be great. And this is a huge learning opportunity. Because, um, you know, when I think about student entrepreneurship, there is such a huge risk of failure, right? Because everybody is doing it. But the it learning curve time. is massive. Exactly, you know, right? And what that's you what learn. I tell all the students who are worried about failure. You see from every perspective, from an employee, an employer, from an investor, from everybody's perspective, you see you can step into their shoes and better empathize with everyone. Mm. Even if a project fails, it's okay, you know? Because you, you learn and you see and you step into people's shoes and you right. learn. Yeah. So that's a huge learning curve the learning for curve any is, aspiring is entrepreneur. I would say it's, it's really an area where you just learn in, from every angle, right? In every different direction. And you really learn also what you like to do, what you don't like to do, what you're yep. good at and what you're not good at. Absolutely. And that's so helpful eventually mm. if you also go into a job at one yep. point in your life. You know exactly what you can do and what you cannot do. And most of your peers... What do they know, right? They know yeah. what type of grades they get in which <laughs> subject. You know? So yeah, I highly encourage people, even if you fail, it's okay. Yeah, I think it's only considered a failure if you didn't learn anything from it. Mm. Which honestly speaking, if you're starting not your own possible. business, it's quite hard, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really quite hard to not learn anything uh, about starting your own business. I think like just really stepping out of your comfort zone and trying something for the first time, I think that itself already is a huge achievement for anybody given the fact that for most of us who grew up in this sort of Singapore sort of education system, the inertia is huge, mm. right? To sort of go against the grain and go against the narrative of what success looks like. I think anybody who sort of takes that step and to sort of step out and try something, mm. I think that person deserves a lot of respect. Mm, 
exactly. And I think that itself is achievement that that person should be proud of. Mm, yeah. Agree, agree. On the flip side, also, I would say entrepreneurship becomes a bit trendy. Mm, you know? Definitely. Like a lot of people think. Yeah. yeah people I mean, think it's a very simple thing. It's entrepreneurship. Yeah. It's simple. It's glorified. You know, because of Silicon Valley, for example, yeah. it's glorified. And can I just say that I feel that on that note, right, about how maybe the way I put it is that entrepreneurship is very glamorized. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And everybody thinks that they can be an entrepreneur. Mm. And I'm not trying to say this because I feel like I'm very great or anything, but I just think that people just need to be very realistic with themselves and just be very self-aware. Mm. Not everybody is cut out to be a founder. And again, I'm not saying this because I think I'm very great or anything, but there's nothing wrong with being the number 50th employee of a company. Correct. Being the first or being the founder compared to the 50th employee, there's no difference mm. in, in terms of like capability, right? It's just we're good at different things. Mm. And yeah. I think it's also about the phase of life you're in. There is a certain phase in life where entrepreneurship totally makes sense, mm. you know, and you can take the risk, especially Singapore, our cost of living is quite high, right? Mm. So it's not feasible for a lot of people because they have to put food on the table, they have to support their families. Sometimes you're not in the right phase of life. Yep. But I think as a student, as a young adult, Absolutely. It's, it's the perfect time. Perfect it's the most time. practical thing. Okay, so people always say to me, like, Reina, why don't you finish your degree first? Like, isn't that the more practical thing to do? And that really triggers me because, like, <laughs> really, honestly, the most practical thing I can do in my life right now, mm. given that I've already figured out what I really enjoy and what I like, is for me to go and start a business because I'm young, I don't have much financial liability. I mean, I'm still staying with my parents. They still feed me and clothe me. Mm. So even if this business fails, maybe I'll just start working, saving up a little bit later. But, like, my risk is so low, mm. right? Honestly speaking. And your opportunity cost is so much mm. lower yeah, as well. Yeah, right? exactly. Mm. So it really is the most practical thing, I think, for students who have figured out that maybe starting their own business is what they mm. are called to, starting their own business is what they would enjoy. Now is the best time for them to try. Mm. It's so much harder to try when, say, maybe you have a wife and two kids and you have the housing loan to pay off and you have the car loan to pay off. It's mm. so much harder for you to take on that risk where you essentially have to go without pay for... Mm. I don't know how long, right? I mean, as a founder, every cent goes back to the business. Mm. And even if you get paid, you can't afford to pay yourself a very high salary. Mm. So, Agreed. yeah, I mean, it's the most mm. practical thing for... Mm. And if you look back at your journey, right, would you have done anything different? Would you have an advice for the, the next generation? What they can do better? If I were to give advice to my younger self, a couple of things that just come straight to my mind, right? I think at the start, I really struggled with caring a lot about what other people think about me. So as much as I took the first step to sort of start something, I have to admit I was really crippled by other people's opinions about me and just being very self-conscious about that. And it just wasn't helpful because like, I was really second-guessing myself and like, I was just trapped mm. and crippled, right? The moment I found a way to sort of not let that affect me too much, mm. I was really just like a bird just got let out of its cage and I could just really just fly and soar and go fast and just execute on what I was supposed to execute on. Mm. So um, I think a lot of entrepreneurship as much as it is the idea or the execution I think a lot of it is also just the demons that are inside of us as a founder mm. the self-doubt mm. you know and all these negative the, thoughts yeah right? like well, caring about other people's thoughts about you those kind yeah. of things and I kind of feel that that is more than half of the battle mm. personally True. True. yeah so yeah for, for people who are listening to this I think it's very normal for us to care about what other people yeah. think about us but really I think that for me was one of the biggest things that sort of really slowed me down quite a bit Mm. Um, yeah. Mm, actually, I think for me, I'm extremely thankful to be able to pursue entrepreneurship as a journey because my family is supportive of it. Mm. You know, they do not see that right now it's not of most importance that I get a full time job. 
to actually work to earn money. So for that, I'm extremely thankful. I know where I stand on that. And I do know of individuals that do not have that same opportunity, whereby they do have to support their family yep. straight after university or even mm. during university. So the idea of pursuing entrepreneurship may not be the best solution or the best thing for them right now. Mm. And it may never be. Uh, I think for aspiring entrepreneurs, definitely when they pursue this journey, within a very short span of time, you would know exactly what you are good at and what exactly you are lacking. And I think this journey itself would be really good for those people who are, they have an idea, they want to pursue it. And I think, you know, they do not know exactly where they stand, especially for me, since I just graduated from school, I'm still a student. So I think this journey has really given me that eye-opener to be able to see, okay, what am I good at? What am I not good at? And how can I, in the future, let's say I work for a company, you know, how can I better help these companies? Because I know where I am good at and where I'm not good at. Mm. So I think these stories would be really important and essential, even for next time in the future. Let's say, you know, for anyone trying to look for a job, even after your project or mm. your startup has failed, for many of this... Um, so much more employable, right? Right, you are. Because you have so many stories to tell. Mm. You have so much experiences that you've been through. I think it's a great learning curve. Mm, I definitely agree. And if a university's goal is really to make their graduates more employable, then you're the best example, right? Mm. That uh, you know exactly what you're good at, what mm. you're not good at. You can totally answer all these questions from an HR. Tell me about a situation you <laughs> failed. <laughs> Tell me about teamwork, right? Um, you have all the examples in your experience, right? And you're so young, so that's impressive. Do you think there's something you want to share, you know, and or to let the audience know something that comes to your mind that you really feel like telling them about maybe yourself, your journey, or social impact in general? I think um, when I first began out on this journey, I was really hard up. You know, I had an idea I wanted to solve. I believed that I could help the world, I could save the world. With my idea, it, it could mean something. So I think for the very initial first few months, I got a burnout because... I was so hard up on it and I didn't realize in fact that entrepreneurship is actually a long journey. Mm. You know, you can spend from one year, two years to ten years down the road. Mm. Netflix was never huge until really, really until now, in fact. So I think many people should know that entrepreneurship should not be glamorized. It's not something that should be seen as okay, I'm an entrepreneurship, it's a great thing. Mm. In fact, it, it requires lots of patience and time to be able to see far and know that one day maybe your idea might work, you know, to never give up. So I think for me, essentially to I realized that okay, entrepreneurship is a long journey. And I have to take it slow, mm. you know, give myself time. At the same time, to know when I have to push hard, but when I have to take a break. So that is an advice I'll give to us aspiring entrepreneurs. Mm. Okay. Not sure what I can add to that. Um, maybe I would say something about the people that you surround yourself with. Mm. I'm a huge believer that you are, there's a saying, right? You're the average of the three people that you hang out with. Three to five, three to five. Something like <laughs> that, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean... Uh, yeah, thankful I spent so much time with Alan. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think in all seriousness, like it, it's really about, I think, it's continuous growth, right? Mm. I think like if you surround yourself with people who are just like very negative and they complain a lot about how things are not right, and I mean, that rubs off you. Mm. Um, I think I make it intentional to sort of surround myself with people who are just oozing with ambition, people who are just really, really uh, smart in terms of like solving problems and like, you know, challenging one another to grow. I think as a founder, that's one of the most important things mm. because your product or service might change. In fact, I think for majority of really successful companies, it will change at some point, right? Mm. In one form or another. I mean, you just think to like, say, Facebook, what they were when they first started and what Facebook is today, or maybe even like Grab, Carousel, Uber, those companies, right? And I think it's about just as a founder, you just need to continue to grow as a founder uh, and to continually just think about how can I be a better whatever you do, right, salesperson, you know, marketer, uh, so on and so forth. So yeah, surrounding yourself with, with 
people that can help you grow. Mm. Uh, on that note also, it's about hiring people that complement you. Because again, you're not Superman or Superwoman. Mm. Uh, no founder can do everything. So uh, again, it goes back to self-awareness, like knowing what you're good at and knowing what you enjoy and mm. then surrounding yourself with people who can complement you in areas that you're not that great at. Mm. Uh, and this is the reason why I don't even bother learning how to code. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty confident, right? If I put in 100 hours, mm. or I don't know how many hours. 10,000, I think, according to outlines. <laughs> something like that, yeah. I, this is the reason why I don't spend time learning how to code because while I think I can become proficient at it, but like it's going to take me so much more time to do the same amount of tasks compared to someone else. M mostly because I'm not gifted in that. Mm. So rather, instead of me trying to do everything from sales to product development, engineering and all, I just hire people to sort of compliment me so that I can just focus and double down mm. on what I'm good at and what I enjoy. Mm. And, and you were extremely fortunate to find your tech co-founder, right? Yeah, for sure. And, mm. and the other sort of people and engineers that we've sort of hired along the way um, they're amazing at what they do and, and I spend zero time and zero energy questioning or even trying to do their jobs. Mm. Yeah. Actually, back then, I used to have that same thought as you, Vina, was that, okay, you know what, if I know what I'm good at, I can find people to compliment me or help me. But I realized, in fact, that, you know, actually, I'm starting to pick up a bit of programming here and there just to be able to know the lingo. That's so yeah, that is I what I'm trying to... Yeah, that's, that's important. So, obviously, I mean, for me, why well, I wouldn't say I'm super proficient, mm -hmm. I can have a conversation with my engineers and understand like About programming. how they're doing mm -hmm. certain things yeah. and like Ooh. and because that has tremendous implications on when you're building product, right? Definitely. Like, like the worst product or salespeople are the ones that promise the clients everything. And then when they go back to the engineering team and then the engineering team is like, that's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that right, takes like right. so long. Mm. Yeah. So it's definitely uh, important for us as founders and especially if we're non-technical to understand mm. the nuances of our product also. Mm. Have some basic level technical. there's so many courses out there, right? Yeah. Even some of them are even free, right? You can teach yourself actually yeah. everything about coding. You know yeah. about Elon Musk, like, you know, you're a big fan of him. So I read, a, I read this article once about how he actually learns things really quickly. Mm. He learns, you know, the big, chunks like so he learns the basic the fundamentals of a problem or industry and he's able to like you know expand out his learning from the fundamentals to learning these things really mm. quickly so as a founder i think it's also important to learn things quickly at a rapid pace you know to pick up something just the nuances of it to actually know how to explain and communicate with people mm. so that is one of the most important thing as a founder is to learn quick mm. that's very yeah. important definitely mm. And Elon Musk is expert in first principle thinking, yes. right? Mm, learning quick. Yep. So it's not about copying what already exists, right? Mm -hmm. And just doing it a bit differently. It's right. really to think about, okay, what's the thing that we are wanting to solve? How do we break it down mm. into small yeah, pieces? Small pieces to solve. To solve. Yeah. Uh, great. I hope we see more innovations and startups like yourself. So today we spoke about uh, many different topics, right? We talked about entrepreneurship, social impact, about the investing world, and uh, what students can do while they're in universities and why you believe the entrepreneurial journey is such an amazing learning curve. So um, do you have one learning point that you want to share with the audience um, that you feel you want them to take away from today's discussion? Yeah, maybe I can go first. Uh, well, firstly, thanks for having me on this. I really enjoyed myself. I'm really envious of aspiring entrepreneurs and those who are maybe just starting the journey, mostly because they have access to things like these, right? Just... Uh, stories and learning points from other founders in the form of a podcast. When I was first starting out, I had to go and reach out to founders and really hope and pray that they would sort of give me a little bit of their time. But today, we have so much resources online. There are thousands of other podcasts like this on Spotify or Apple Music and stuff, and even on YouTube. 
Yeah, so I think I'm really envious for one, and I hope that, that you listeners have taken away something uh, from this. I personally learned a lot from Janine and yourself, Ellen. And yeah, thanks for having me today. Thank you, Reina. I think for me, and one key learning point is essentially like, I think I've learned a lot from Reina, especially because Reina is my senior. Uh, listening to his story has really helped me. And I feel that personally is that entrepreneurship is a learning journey. There's always a learning curve to be learned. And I think today has been a great learning curve for me in terms of understanding more about, you know, currently, you know, okay, let's say where I'm right now and where do I need to take to actually go forward and move forward. So I think definitely this has been a great podcast session. I'm so thankful that you're having me today here today and Reina as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Janine. And I'm just happy that I can spend time with you guys. That really mm-hmm. makes my day. And I realize that actually spending time with student entrepreneurs is really, 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 really um, what I want to do. And when I can learn the most, and I think when sharing really becomes interesting. So this was Janine Ko, co-founder of Nina News, and Raina Loy, co-founder and CEO of Lumitix. I'm Ellen, and thank you for listening to Silver Linings. This episode of Silver Linings is brought to you by SUSS Podcast. To learn more about today's episode, you may find complimentary content at suss.edu.sg slash blog. For more podcast episodes, visit suss.edu.sg slash podcast.